Chewy, do you want to say something to the peanut gallery? Oh, you're silent for once. Chewy's, Chewy's become a real vocal doggy lately. Yes, you will likely hear him try to attack and kill a motorcycle, a scooterist. From in... a distance of at least 100 meters. Well, he thinks he's, he can knock him off with his bark, yeah. his ferocious bark. Getting close to him. I'll have him one of these days. One of these days, the scooterist is going to randomly fall over, and he's going to really feel Chewy, that's terrible. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, Chewy. That's true. Right, we go into more detail about that a little bit, so stay tuned. In a podcast where two people talk to one other person about breathwork, community, downfalls of leadership, and chocolate. Today's episode, we have Rachel. We met Rachel because she was hosting cacao ceremonies and sound journeys in Pi. And we actually now live in her house. And probably we wouldn't if we hadn't done this podcast episode with her because we came over to her house to take a photo with her for the podcast. And they were like packing up or something. We were taking a look at the house because we came over for a promo photo and now we live here <laughs> so that's nice thanks podcast and uh rachel we feel your presence here in this house and and, and the presence of always calcalcito <laughs> la medicina calcalcito la medicina calcalcito that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. All right, give us the major updates in hashtag Trevor Big Spread. Oh, it's been a long and arduous saga since the last we spoke. The long and winding bread. Tried the full leavens a couple of times. I, the new oven, I don't think, is getting hot enough. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not quite having the we success. Gotta, that I, uh, we have two ovens in our kitchen, but only one of them is hooked up to the gas, and it's the wrong one. Yeah. Yeah. So we should switch that today. So for next episode. Also, we had somebody over for a potluck yesterday that could spot the fact that my bread was supposed to be cooked in a Dutch oven and was not. Now this leads me to believe that when I get a Dutch oven, miracles will happen. So stay tuned. I think so. Dude, it's like, it's ridiculously. I feel like I've, I've anytime I've baked bread in a Dutch oven, it's impossible to fuck up. Like it just, just does all the work for you. Why have we not purchased a Dutch oven yet? I feel like we've offered. I've offered. I've been every time we've been at a store. That I have has not them. seen a Dutch oven. Well, are you looking for cast iron or something? I'm looking for like an actual Dutch oven. Well, okay. I don't know what an actual Dutch oven is. Anytime I've baked in a quote unquote Dutch oven, I'm just talking about a, a pot, pot with a lid that I'm able to put into the oven. Like it doesn't have any plastic parts. So if it's an entirely stainless steel pot or whatever, like that's always done the trick for me. I I have done it in cast iron as well. I don't. I couldn't tell you if I noticed a difference. I I did a. I did it a lot more in just a like a stainless For steel me, one. What a Dutch oven means is, I mean, it's oh, usually ceramic. Ceramic, you? yeah, or or at least anything that's that's got enough thermal mass to really hold a temperature. So I think like something like steel or aluminum, or we just would just dissipate the heat too quickly. But 
I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, to be honest with you. I mean, what you're saying sounds legitimate, but I've baked a lot of bread in a stainless steel pot, and it's turned out really nice, mm. with a really nice crust, and mm. I don't know. Apparently Dutch ovens don't exist, at least the, as I know them and love them to be. Well, aren't you going, you, you talked about building me a potter's wheel. Is that happening? Yes. I should we get the, the garden together and the yeah, well, bathtub I, set up. You haven't read, I texted you a bunch of stuff last night while you were sleeping about everything we need to do to get our lives in order. Anyway, uh, I wanted to, I was feeling, uh, you can do it. I don't know how to word it. Just like you, you to the garden is me to the podcast, and then it was giving me empathy for you with the podcast of being like, "Oh man, I'm kind of annoying." <laughs> not that I was thinking you're you were, not annoying you, at all, Bebo. Well, no, just that I come at you like kind of with this feeling of, "Oh, I'm kind of forcing you to do this, and you don't really want to do it, and whatnot," because that's how I felt about you. That, that that's what you were feeling with the garden, and I'm like. Why are you being weird? Like, I totally want to do this, and you're acting like I don't. I don't really know how to defend this, so I'm just, like, going to be quiet, and I'm, I think I probably make you feel like that with the podcast sometimes, like, these intros and stuff, where it's like, I'm not like I'm necessarily saying anything directly, but I'm coming at you with this attitude of, like, I'm forcing you into this, and you don't want to do it, and this just puts you in this probably awkward emotional state of being like, what? I don't know how to fucking prove this to you. Like, let's just... Let's just do it. Like, what do you mean? Let's just do this thing. Yeah. Is Interesting. It, is this accurate? Yeah, I think there's a, a hint of truth there. One hint? Just a hint. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't you feel like. Do you feel like sometimes my coming at you with the podcast has this undertone of, like, I don't know, whatever I just said? Don't you feel like even though I'm not necessarily saying the words that sometimes you can tell that I'm that I'm thinking you don't want to do this and I'm forcing you into it? I suppose so. But I don't know. I just ignore it and get on with my life. Right. So that's what I was <laughs> doing with the garden. And then it was like, then I was having reflection of like, uh, I guess. I feel like you carried that attitude on into the actual gardening. What do you mean? Okay, and, well, so I. It also is outrageously hot. It could have been just that. It's not like I then feel like, oh, you, you, in in my head, it's oh, it's like that the whole time for you podcasting. But it's it's not like I'm under the impression of it's just me asking you to do it, and like maybe you're slightly annoyed, and then you're super gung ho. I definitely have the emotions of. This is always something I'm forcing you into, and you're only like faking it so we can get it over with. But then doing the gardening and realizing that that was your attitude when it wasn't at all an accurate reflection of my attitude made me question that I'm probably being ridiculous and for some reason like insecure about this. So you're, you're only just now questioning that doing the podcast is not a 100% excruciating... No, not the actual podcast, but more like the ex- extraneous stuff for the podcast, like these intros and anything where i ask you i that. love the intros it gives me a minute to sit down and talk with paper thank you Viva. well again now i'm saying i'm saying that upon doing this gardening stuff with you i'm now realizing that that this is probably all just coming from me and not at all a reflection of you that yeah maybe it's not like 100 percent exactly what you would wake up and do if, if if i wasn't prompting you but that there's probably no actual 
annoyance coming from you other than maybe potentially that now I'm bringing this attitude of like, you don't even want to do this. Because again, that's what I was feeling with the gardening of being like, I totally want to do this. I I expect you to be in charge because you know what the plan is more than me. But then just the- I'm going to let you in on a little secret there. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. You know what you're doing somewhat more than me. I have well, I mean that's and that's part of the reason why I might feel like you're not as into it as me because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and I'm trying to be like, what do you think about this potential idea? I'd really love your input and your insight into how this could all work. Here's kind of where my head's at, roughly. I don't know what the fuck is actually in my head, so I would love some input and try to bring that forth into fruition. And you're like, okay, let's go get some sand begrudgingly and but i'm not begrudgingly uh-huh. so this is the whole point of me bringing this up is do some do some perspective taking and, and look at how i mean and if you think that i am being begrudging then maybe that really means that you are being begrudging when you do the podcast intros and stuff like that because that's no i think i think really what i'm picking up there is it was fucking hot so and, when it's hot you I'm, get you get you get flattened when you're hot. Yes, definitely. You know, certain, like... I definitely am not particularly communicative or emotive. I'm just... Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. But it's not like a reflection of my actual inner state of being like, of course I want to... Well, there's no way for me to know that looking out from the outside. I mean, what, like there is, like you're saying right now... You you know. I mean, I can when, guess. I didn't really I'm... like internalize that I was torturing you with the garden or anything. I, I appreciate you being as like let's do this thing as as you were capable of doing at the time. And I, I, all, all these scenarios ran through my head, and I determined that it probably wasn't worth dwelling on, and I should just get on with my life. All of these scenarios of me being like, I can't believe he's fucking making me do this, this bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's in your head. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take that on to internalize without you saying that I should. That would be crazy, unless you made it really fucking apparent that you hated it, and that probably would make you say it. But it's whatever. So I was like, let's get the shit done that we need two people for, and then if you want to continue to play, you can continue to play. It's up to you. But yeah, I love your input on designing. And- <laughs> Well, from my perspective, you've spent the last couple of weeks reading gardening books that I haven't been reading, and also, and also, you've been reading about constructing with bamboo and all of this stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, none of it's really all that applicable. Okay, I think I learned like three things, and the rest of it was self promotion and mm-hmm. pompery. Fair enough. Well, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of what plants like to be near each other and what plants should be like at the perimeter and stuff like that. Nice. But in terms of we we're constructing a a garden bed with like yeah, I mean, stuff like, and, and these power books are written and... for people in in the West that are using fucking you know plywood and you know like treated wood and 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 just not not exactly what we're doing here. So a lot of it doesn't apply. I mean, the the gardening concepts kind of apply. The you know, but who the hell even really knows about that? We're in fucking Thailand again. These are these are not books written for Thailand. So a lot of it's going to be intuition and pulling a lot of shit together. So yes, that's how people likes to cook. I know. 
<laughs> is this a condescending pat? No. This is... Oh, after that pasta last night. Yeah, and then I went down <laughs> and spent hours making you cookies so that you would forgive me. Forgive you? Why you made me pasta? What is there to forgive? That it wasn't yummy. Did you taste it before you served it? No, of course not. But I ate my whole plate. I I like kind of I like disgusting greens. Out of spite? <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not gonna taste this. I'm just gonna eat it no matter what. What kind of crazy? Alright, so this is just a big all going debate. I will constantly taste the things that I'm cooking in order to adjust or add. No, you're this isn't a debate. You're doing it right. I'm weird. There's no I'm not confused about this. I don't know what my like weird aversion is, but I never have even when I had a bakery, like where I was professionally making stuff and giving it to people, unless it was I'll a completely you, new she's experiment. Almost killed me with her cooking methods. What we call the great cranberry incident of 2018 i i think if you just didn't like he just doesn't like the taste of cranberries and again i ate i ate like half of that loaf it was pumpkin bread with cram with fresh cranberries it's all starting to make a whole lot of sense i mean if you like the taste of those cranberries yeah i like like the taste of bitter and okay and the pasta last night was that's why you ate all the pasta last night because you were bitter (laughs) Uh, bevo it was it it was the great pasta what? Stop it. What is the point? What's the point? I don't know. I don't like it when you... I'm poking the bear. You lie. <laughs> what am I lying about? You just said it was a great pasta. No, it was not a great pasta. On, on the noodles him. were like clumped together. I was under no illusions. This is because we our, our landlord won't tell us how to get water. So we have like half of a water bottle left or less. And I was trying to make pasta. So I used the smallest amount of water possibly possible. And like half of the pasta was above the water. You, and I just kept trying to stir it. Did you stir it a lot in the first 30 seconds? I don't know. I definitely stirred it very quickly. Well, I think I dumped it in. I stirred it around. And then I was like, I have to add more water to this. So then I added some more water. Then I had to put the water back down. Then I started some more. And then I, it still needed more water, but then I didn't add any more. Interesting little tidbit for you, those of you that don't know at home. When you're cooking pasta, if you stir it for the first 30 seconds, all the starch that is excreted during that initial drop-in phase that will cause the pasta to clump together will not cause it to clump together, and you virtually won't have to stir it thereafter. I think half of the thing was that this was spaghetti, and I was trying to break it into thirds, um, but it was a big thing of spaghetti, and, and so I couldn't break the whole bunch at once, so I... Why are you trying to break it into thirds? So it would fit in the pot. What pot were you using? The biggest pot we have, which is like the size of a cup. Yeah, you, can only, you, can, you could have broken it in half. You could have not broken it at all. Okay, regardless, I was... I did. I, I was breaking it, and it took time. So it was probably like nine separate breaks, and so then so I didn't stir in them ninth? into. Ah, that's just crazy. I, not like the length of the pasta. I I took the whole bag of pasta, separated that into thirds, and then broke the clumps of thirds into thirds. A lot of thirds there. Yes. This three is a magic number. Somewhere in the ancient mystic trilogy, you get three as a magic number. Anyway, I think the only place where there's debate is that you take a, you take this tasting thing too far. I was trying to make a salad dressing the other day, and it turned out horribly. 
and we kept adding things to it, trying to rescue it, and it kept on getting grosser and grosser, and Trevor kept on trying to shove it in my mouth. No, it was actually, it was really good. It just had this really strange, bad lime aftertaste. No, it absolutely kept on getting worse the more shit we added to it. It was definitely getting grosser with every addition. I think it kind of bounced out at the end, but... Well, you could have eaten it. I didn't want to eat it. I think no matter what, my taste buds would have been tainted with that terrible lime taste. Yeah. And then I isolated the lime that had done it, and I wanted to be able to taste that lime. Disgusting lime. Well, then you got your wish because I went on to taste like the next three limes in front of our um, an upcoming podcast guest, Fred. She was in the kitchen preparing her food, and I was tasting these limes, and she witnessed me have like essentially a seizure from how gross this was like i had i convulsed my entire body it was the most <laughs> why bitter. i wanted you to try the other one because you just wanted to witness this yeah and i was like i don't want to play this game you'd already put so many gross things in my mouth in the last 10 minutes it's one of my favorite games it is not one of my favorite games yeah see now i have that 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 taste stored in my noggin so how will that serve you in life anytime that a dish is fucked up i play ah there's those limes it's like a superpower. I mean, I've tasted a lot of gross shit in my life, and I haven't had to like keep on tasting it in order to. I don't know what was wrong with those limes, man. They looked perfectly, perfectly normal. They were it's a shame. They were way worse than cranberries or fucking Swiss chard. Anyway, so this pasta Two last night, it was slightly there. clumpy, and then I put in a shit ton of Swiss chard and arugula because we I did an accidental order from our CSA here for like 19 pounds of fucking Swiss chard and arugula and I've been I trying like, to figure out how to use it. On the whole, do not like cooked greens at all. Yeah, like I tried to greens? really no. lightly saute them, but it was just like, I just wanted them to get coated in a bit of like the onion and garlic mixture. Anyway, I genuinely didn't dislike it, but I totally understand why you did. It was definitely... I, I think you try to cover up the like cooked green taste with ample amounts of. I put way more cheese on yours than I did on mine. Of, not the greatest cheese in the world. It's not the worst cheese you can get in Thailand. Just Thailand in general is not known for its cheese. No. So we had a we had a questionable quality pasta last night. We did not. How did we, how we Trevor go? took one bite and and then was and then hit it and then I felt bad, so I went downstairs and made him cookies. I'll tell you what, though, those cookies out. turned out f- excellently. A plus work. Thank you. Did you taste them? You didn't read the whole fucking saga. Yeah, I fucking tasted them, and you are lucky because I was gonna originally make you peanut butter oat chocolate chip cookies because I made that for you. I don't know, like six weeks ago or something, and you really liked them. Um, like the first batch where I used sugar, because <laughs> on the second batch I tried not to, and you didn't like those as much. And um, and I went and ground up what I thought was peanuts. It's sitting in the kitchen for you right now. I texted you all this last night, but you haven't read your text yet. Uh, that it tasted like I don't even know. Again, like I convulsed from the grossness, and I was audibly like you could hear me across the street spitting this out in agony being like <laughs> like it was it was so gross you have to go take maybe we should go bring down the equipment and have you taste it live like right now let's do it i don't want to do that sounds... you made me play the tasting game no you didn't taste the lime had you tasted the lime i would have tasted it then so. i tasted the grossest i tasted limes way grosser yeah, than that lime immediately fault. afterwards no it was because i was trying to make the next no, good you don't salad know dressing if it was worse or not 
have a line. Yes, I do. Because you didn't try the first one. There is nothing on this earth that is grosser than that first line I put in my mouth in front of Fred. Um, <laughs> please text her up right now and be like, do you think there's anything grosser than that line Which with Jenny? Which did you use? The, I don't know. We got them from the market where we got all of, like the, uh, the store in Chiang Mai where we got all of our other seeds and stuff. I think it was like, I'm pretty sure. I know. I'm serious. Can we go taste it right now? I feel like I feel like the listeners want this to happen. For the listeners. For the listeners. Don't turn off your mic. Just walk with it. Okay. We have an upstairs and a downstairs now. It's pretty exciting stuff. The kitchen is downstairs. We also have cats that try to dive bomb you as you walk up and down the stairs. They only try to dive bomb Trevor. Like me more. Okay, so I tried to make peanut butter out of these peanuts, and I ground them up because I did this earlier in the week with other peanuts, and it turned out really good. Come over First, here. Which peanuts? Over, they're right here. <laughs> these are the peanuts. That is the peanut butter. These are peanuts, right? Those are peanuts. That's that's just like one peanut. I mean, whatever you can. It's the peanut that has the flavor. Tastes fine to me. Are you kidding? It tastes like peanut butter. Is this a trick? No. All right. Well. Right. Oh God, I regret everything. This is my least favorite game in the world. I tried it last night, and it was the Try second it. worst taste I've ever had. I think you just got a bad bite. There's I bad peanuts in every. A bad peanut does not ruin the bushel. Mm. It's not as bad as it was last night. Try the whole thing. Oh, wait. Yes, it is. <laughs> You're a fucking asshole. I hate you. What the fuck? <laughs> Why would you do that? Why? How did you keep a fucking straight face? Oh, my God. You're the worst person. Anyway, I tasted... It was not that bad. Do you taste this aftertaste in your mouth right now? It tastes like soapy grass ass. Soapy grass ass. Oh. Jerk. (laughs) Anyway, I tasted that shit to make you good cookies to make sure it turned out well before I put it in the cookies. And this is a sacrifice I made for you. And you just... You thanked me by tricking me again. Jerk. That was very mean. (laughs) <laughs> why do you think what do you what do you think's wrong with those peanuts i've never tasted peanuts that taste like that i kept on staring at them being like is this actual peanuts or is this, is this soap nuts i believe i've told you the story that i often think of fondly you made rydell taste a gross peanut yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us the story yeah. shout out rydell i doubt rydell, you listen to this I podcast you, man. I, I think of this when i laugh sometimes Every time he thinks of it, he laughs hysterically, <laughs> like a full-body laugh where he brings his knees up to his chest. I was eating peanuts. <laughs> and right now was there. And you know when you get like like a peanut and you're like, wow, this one's a little too too like small for its casing, a little too, and you're just like, this is not going to be a good peanut, and you throw it away? Well, <laughs> I took the peanut and I, I offered it to Rydell. And he so graciously accepted it that I, I felt bad initially. Being, what do you mean? Like, what did he say? He's like, oh, like, thanks, man. Like, you just, you know, like, you're like, really looking out for me. Yeah. Like, you, you like, like, yeah. Like, I was like, oh, I kind of regret doing this. But then as he put it in his mouth and began to chew. What? The look on his face, I will never forget. It was just a pure, like, that moment when, when you stop chewing, you know, something's, 
something something's not right here. <laughs> and you take like, one more cautious too, like maybe maybe it'll get better. <laughs> it was so funny. You really uh, you had to be there. I can't describe no, the it. the way you retell it is beautiful. I've heard this story several times and it's one of my favorite. Just the joy <laughs> that Trevor exudes is is really a beautiful sight to bear witness to. It was just it was uh I don't know why it tickles me so. <laughs> and this is this is why when he says taste this, it's, <laughs> I I have have a lot of trust issues with taste this, rightfully so because um, the majority of the time it's a trap. It's not true. I think so. No, it's not. You if you make me something good, you usually just give me the finished product. If you want me to taste it ahead of time. It's a trap. It's not true. I mean, well, uh, I say, yeah, probably oftentimes it's like, something's not quite right with this. Like, should I add more lime? Should I add more sugar? Should I add more salt? You know. <laughs> what the fuck are we making that those are usually our three ingredients? <laughs> I feel like those are our three main ingredients in, in life. General, yeah, right? I agree. Well, honey, honey more than sugar itself, I think. But uh, anyway, no, I know you. I can. Yeah, I know you're right. But for the majority, I think pasta sauce, when I make pasta sauce, not like the shit I made last night that wasn't sauce. That was just like throwing gr- <laughs> wilted greens into some clumpy pasta with cheese on top. But when I make actual like tomato sauce or something like that, I think that's the only thing that I, or, or, or pizza sauce or any type of tomato based sauce. That's the only thing that I'm regularly tasting and adjusting. I think everything else, I'm just kind of like, hope this turns out well. I'm not going to make any adjustments. Yeah. For, for the record, you were a wonderful cook and. And your creations turn out right. Yeah, and time. and all of the dishes I've made you, like two things have been truly terrible. It's, it's just funny that we happen to be having this conversation about me being a tester and you being a non-tester, and my ramen soup turning out wonderfully, and your pasta turning out questionably. Again, I I was under no illusions. Based on what I was putting into it, I wasn't expecting a great output. I was expecting. A not bad output, and that's what it was for me. It wasn't like I would bring this pasta to a potluck, but I I eat a lot of greens in a lot of different formats. I'm kind of I, it's like it doesn't make any what's sense the to thing? Me. Why would you eat? People are always saying like you you get it, you have to force yourself to get to enjoy the taste of beer. Or what's what do people say about that? It's acquired taste. Acquired taste. Yeah, I'm like I spent. I've had a CSA since I was a teenager, and I've been making weird stuff from greens for like a decade now, and uh, I, I've i definitely yeah. forced myself an acquired taste when it comes to doing weird stuff with greens, and it just doesn't... I'm not saying it tastes wonderful, and I certainly wouldn't present it as a dish of pride to share with friends or like a representation of my cooking abilities, but for me to eat it... That was perfect. It was perfect. You're, I'm not saying you're wrong in the slightest. I totally respect that you were like, I'm not eating any more of this, and I made you cookies to make up for it. But I am being honest that it wasn't a bad experience for me. I think it's a strange, like, I just wouldn't eat the greens if that were the case. I don't think we. I, I honestly swear to God, don't think we need to eat as many greens as. Uh, Are you questioning Michael Pollan? I think that we need an appropriate amount of fiber. I think we need an appropriate amount of trace elements in our diet, but I think our diets should primarily consist of protein. I think all bodies are different, and that you need a lot more protein than I do. That's fair. And I need a lot more fruit than you do. Like I That's feel, fair. 
weird and unbalanced without fruit, and I think you wouldn't notice if you went a month without I think, fruit. I think you need a lot of sugar. Why? I don't know. You just said doctor. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my my blood sugar is always very, very low, but... Um, lead to cravings for fruit, for sure. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Hashtag and Trevor and Jen make a garden saga. <laughs> I think it's I think it's going to turn out beautifully. And the main reason why I brought this up, well, it was twofold to tell you that sincerely, I'm very excited about the garden and excited to make it with you, and uh, and that I want you to know that I have no any anything remotely negative feelings about it, and that I'm very happy to be doing it with you. And well, that's good because we need a circular saw and somehow to like. A substitute or to construct saw horses. Um, but in this podcast, you're going to hear some great stuff. You're going to hear us talk with Rachel. Who's... So without further ado, Rachel. Occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting. Today we have Rachel. Rachel moved to Pai, a small hippie town in the mountains of northern northern Thailand, where we're currently living at the same time as us, and she immediately began making big moves. We met Rachel after she'd been only living in Pai for one week and began hosting cacao ceremonies and sound journeys. We attended her first one, and we were so excited at the amazing things she was bringing to this tiny town. Since then, we've attended many cacao ceremonies, and I've worked one-on-one with Rachel in a breathwork meditation session. Her focus in life is in helping to heal others and bring them together. We're so excited to have her on the podcast today. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Good job. Um, All right, so let's get right into it. Uh, Can you briefly explain what a cacao ceremony slash sound journey is? Yes. So I started doing cacao ceremonies about a year and a half ago. And for me, I've just kind of compiled many different forms of meditation and different rituals that work for me. And I've just put them together in an offering. Um, and the medicine of cacao really helps people center into their hearts. So really, when you add anything with that, like creativity, movement, breathwork, dancing, expression, it all just becomes a little bit easier for people to open up when they have the medicine of cacao in them. So it's just a combination of all of those things put together with drinking of delicious chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And how does the the sound journey part play into all that? What is a sound journey? Mm. All right. So I like to use sound as one of my favorite modalities to use to change up the vibration of of the body. So when we use sound, we physically change our vibration. You can feel it um, buzzing through the body. And so I like to use different forms of sound meditation, which includes chanting and toning and singing. And so we use uh, um, those different forms in the ceremonies to... And for me, it's a way to kind of sing to a higher power, to sing to the divine and to, yeah, just change up your vibration. Very cool. Uh, 
Everyone's favorite part of the ceremony, other than drinking chocolate, is the Tantra icebreaker exercises that you guide. Can you tell me about how you learned this, why it's important to bring to a group, what it achieves, and give the listeners some things to break out at their next party? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, one of the parts of the cacao ceremony is the connective work, which, um, yeah, as you said, is these non-sexual tantric exercises. And so... There's a beautiful Tantra school in Chiang Mai that I worked with um, numerous on numerous different occasions and have learned an, a variety of exercises to help people connect on a deeper level. And so I love to, when you have cacao in your body already, because it's considered a heart medicine, it's helpful for assisting with connecting on a deeper level. So it opens people up to connect in this way. And so it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to add because it, especially for people who are traveling, I find that oftentimes travelers just meet a, not a, not a deep level. People are curious about where they're coming from, what they're doing, but to meet, to, to connect on a deeper level is um, something that not everybody has a chance to do. So I love to add that into the ceremony to give people that extra, extra way of connecting. And so it includes things like eye gazing. So that's simply standing in front of somebody and taking a moment to breathe and connect energetically and then opening the eyes to connect through the eyes. And this can be very uncomfortable for some people because I think we're taught to avert the eye gaze of people who are looking at you. And so to stare directly into someone's eyes for a minute or more at any given time can be a little bit uncomfortable. So we encourage people to stare at one eye and just focus and, and, and have stillness when they're looking. And after a few moments, you kind of, the rest of your vision fades away and you can just go deep into looking at this person. And it's a beautiful way to become comfortable with discomfort, which is a thing I think is a very important thing for us all to learn to do. And so we do things like that, eye gazing, um, heart holding. So we place our hands on each other's hearts and then breathe while we're, while we're in connecting in this way. And then sometimes we will just have a moment of asking questions and the participants will take turns both listening and speaking. And I think it's really important to practice listening because a lot of people um, love to interject when they're listening rather than just fully giving their attention. So it's another practice I like to include in the ceremonies. What's like the most unexpected feedback you've gotten? Hmm. Well, I have had people, there's such a variety of, of responses, but I've had people um, who get very uncomfortable start laughing a lot. Uh, that happens. Uh, and then I've had people have at the other end of the spectrum start crying after. Oh, yeah. After the very first person I made eye contact with wept yeah. in very intensely. <laughs> yeah. And I think for some people, they've just never really allowed themselves to be so fully seen and so fully vulnerable and when you get into that that 
situation, um, it can be very, it can bring up a lot of emotions. And the cacao also helps with that. Cacao helps us to get in touch with our emotions and makes them a little bit stronger. Happiness, sadness, joy, joy. So I think all of that just comes to the surface. And then I've also had experiences, our right side of the body is the masculine side. And so I encourage people to try to see the strength and the masculinity in in each other when they're looking into the right eye. And when you're looking into the left eye, it's the more feminine, um, gentle, creative side. And I've had people express to me that they see they see like a masculine figure in front of them when they're looking into the right eye and they see a feminine figure when they're looking into the left eye. So I've had people tell me, um, yeah, like visions they've had when they're doing these exercises and ways to express themselves that they never have had before. So that's, I think, some of the most powerful responses. That's awesome. Have those people been sipping the happy shakes? <laughs> no, they've been sipping happy cacao. Happy cacao. That's interesting. I, I think that's pretty fascinating. I would like to experience that. Um, what is it about cacao, do you think? So I fell in love with cacao when I was traveling through South America about two years ago. And... There's lots of cacao in South America where it is heavily grown and produced. And in Guatemala, where I was staying on Lake Atalan, there's a cacao shaman named Keith. He's pretty famous there. So I went to a few of his ceremonies and started just working with the medicine um, myself and then also in these ceremonies. And also just life in South America had lots of rituals. There were lots of song circles that had cacao, lots of ecstatic dances that had cacao. Cacao was pretty prevalent everywhere. So I just really fell in love with the power of the medicine. And for me, cacao is a great substitute for coffee or anyone who has an addiction to caffeine because it gives you an energetic high and wakes you up. It's a natural antidepressant. It's a natural mood enhancer. And it doesn't have the crash that comes with most caffeine or especially coffee. And so it gives you the same similar effects of waking people up and energizing them without the negative side effects. But then in addition to that, cacao has a chemical called theobromine in it. And theobromine actually opens up our blood vessels. So that's why it's considered a heart medicine, because it literally opens up your blood vessels, pumps more blood to your heart at a faster rate. It literally makes you feel warm in your heart. And that's why it also helps to increase emotions. And so when you tune into that, especially with the help of meditation and exercises of mindfulness, it helps really tune into the powerful effects of cacao and the magic can occur. It's yeah. <laughs> a great ending sales pitch line. Um, from from my not so extensive research into cacao, which was done after a very funny conversation I had with my father, my, my brother and mother. <laughs> when uh, your brother was snorting it? 
Yeah, yeah. Really? I was I was at home. I was at home talking with my mother, and and he she said something like kind of offhandedly like, and "Your brother needs to stop snorting that fucking chocolate." And I, I thought she was kidding. I was like, "No, you thought that your what? brother was then, fucking with her." Yes. Then I immediately was like, "No, Edge must be messing with you. Or, my brother must be messing with you." Uh, so I called him. And I was like, "What? What the hell is going on? Why does mother think you are snorting chocolate? That's ridiculous." And he's like, "Yeah, dude, it's called Coco Loco." Coco Loco. And I was like, "No, no, no!" no. And he sent me a picture of this little tin of like finely powdered chocolate that apparently it's like huge in Germany is you're supposed to snort it <laughs> it doesn't sound very comfortable to me but wow uh so i was like all right well what's that about like you know i've heard the chocolate makes you feel good and uh, i started researching it and apparently there's a chemical in there and again this is me like quoting wikipedia this is research i did months and months ago so feel free to correct me <laughs> <laughs> um that there's a chemical that's a, sort of a similar to a derivative of MDMA. It's like MDXX mm. is the way that they described it because I think it's a series of chemicals that have that same sort of precursor that have different, you know, methyl groups coming off of it in different places, but act similarly on the body to MDMA or ecstasy for those who don't know what that is, um, which would make sense why it would be so great at exercises that you just described, opening up emotion releasing and, and and i was really surprised to find out a that people were snorting it and b that it actually had some like you know it wasn't just caffeine that can make you jittery more talkative it was like there's other chemicals in there that are are, are mild very mildly psychoactive and, and can, can actually give you a high well, your chocolate is great but damn <laughs> i'm not gonna be able to say that's true or not i don't actually know but but i do know that it it or i've read that it increases serotonin levels mm -hmm. and uh what's the other dopamine compound? dope dopamine maybe i don't know or endorphins. it's the one that's often but grouped in with serotonin yeah definitely um the, the 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 natural compounds that the body produces the happy chemicals it has something in there that helps the body produce that more more rapidly so it definitely does give you i mean it's a natural antidepressant too so it's it's naturally giving you a boost of happiness um so I, yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that is true i would not recommend snorting though yeah it's neither so, would i just for the record yeah yeah it yeah, yeah. it's so like delicious like yeah, we should be drinking it and <laughs> eating it savoring it <laughs> participating in its experience on every sensory level it seems to be human behavior that if something's good you can find a way to kick it up a notch yeah but yeah that was i wonder if he's still doing it i should ask him <laughs> well we have a phone date with him tomorrow we'll, we'll report back to our listeners yeah, if trevor's well, brother know. is still snorting chocolate <laughs> so you sort of co-host at least the cacao ceremony with your romantic partner and um it's been interesting to see like you guys have similar strengths and objectives but you're kind of going about them in totally different ways um i guess i don't know exactly what question i'm asking kind of like how do you how do you manage that how do you co-manage both being leaders of the ceremony and like supporting and respecting each other's different strengths while working towards a similar goal mm. Yeah. Yeah. So my partner, Michael, is has a background in yoga and 
uh, Chinese medicine, including acupuncture and qigong. And um, when we met, I was already doing cacao ceremonies. And it wasn't until about almost a year into our relationship, or a little less, that he started joining me in doing the cacao ceremonies once we moved up to Pi. And so we both love to work with people and um, teach mindfulness practices and help people live more meditative lives. And so when we decided to do this together, we sat down and we both talked about what practices we feel confident in sharing and just we kind of work together before actually doing it to create a general outline of how it would go so we both have different practices that we love to share and each ceremony is actually a bit different we we switch up different exercises that we do and it's slowly evolved but I think we both together bring a different dynamic because I feel that I'm more extroverted and um, certainly <laughs> and talkative and Michael is um very he's a very gentle presence and um calming playful presence but so he's does a very good job of leading meditations and people helping to ground people into the space and then I feel that my strengths lie in um helping people connect more deeply with themselves and with each other. Um, Has there been like any tension or any negative things to arise in your relationship from sharing these responsibilities or quests? Not exactly. There are times after a ceremony ends that we'll have, we, we, we often talk about how it went and how did you feel it went, you know, and there are times when I will, one of us might notice what another person does and and bring that up and have a discussion about how maybe it didn't feel right or um, we felt that somebody took took over at the wrong time. But mostly they've been going really well and mostly we haven't had um, any big issues. Um, yeah. So definitely just continuing to learn each time and... It's helping us, though, to continue to have strong, open communication skills, which I think is uh, an essential part, obviously, to any relationship. So it's been good. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like a positive. Like we we discussed it in a calm manner about what went right and what went wrong. And, you know, yeah, we've never gotten angry with each other over a cacao ceremony. We're, we're both probably too blissed when it's over, anyways. That <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, one of the main objectives of the Tantra exercises and community ceremonies seems to be letting our guards down and being vulnerable with ourselves and the group. When creating vulnerable spaces, how do you as the group leader or facilitator make sure to keep that group safe? So I definitely like to save the exercises for at least the middle to the end of the ceremony and the beginning I like to just work to create a safe feeling space for everybody and that includes I like to let everybody have a chance to speak in the ceremony so we often go around and let everybody say their name and what what they're hoping to get out of the ceremony 
And that kind of helps, I think, people feel that they have a role in the ceremony. They're not just there to participate. They're actually they're not just there to receive. They're there to actually be a participant in the ceremony. And throughout the first initial half of the ceremony, we meditate, we sing songs, we drink the cacao, do some inner work. And I think at least strategically, this was planned to help people open up and arrive into the space and to begin feeling more relaxed and more calm in the space before jumping into the connective work, which can be a little bit more intimidating and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And especially, again, going around in the circle, letting everybody speak kind of lets everybody get a feel for who's in the circle. And so it kind of takes away that complete stranger feeling that everybody here is a stranger and helps at least some people feel more connected. How do you feel when invariably every cacao ceremony, at least one person says the reason they're there is just for the chocolate? Like, do you, do you, is that always funny to you or do you get it all like? No, I don't actually mind because that's like something that's actually getting people to come in that may not come to something like this before. If it was just a connective sound ceremony, you yeah. might not call to these people. But the fact that they're there because they like chocolate, <laughs> great. That gets them in the door to then open up to these other experiences. That's a great perspective. Yeah. And I have other people that are like, oh, I don't know why I'm here. My friend brought me like mm. just here to experience whatever it is. And um, as long as people are there with an open mind, willing to see what happens, then then that's all right with me. And we also even tell people in the beginning that everything is an invitation. Nothing is required. So if there's anything that makes people feel uncomfortable, they're welcome to opt out of this specific exercises. And sometimes that happens. Some people do not feel comfortable to do all the things. Um, but again, just creating a, an environment where people feel that they are empowered to make their own decisions and to listen to themselves is, is an important part of it. And then once they start doing it, I encourage them to play with their edges and try to see where their boundaries are and where their walls are up and explore if they can go a little bit further and expand their boundaries and their edges. So, yeah. Um, related to this question was a note from Trevor that I don't really remember or understand that just says pink drink wild wild country. Do you remember what you wanted to ask? <laughs> it was supposed to be tied pink to like drink. Su supposed to be tied to a pink drink community keeping community safe and like leaders getting out of control. I think that might have been like drink the Kool-Aid and wild wild country or something. I don't remember what you thought. Maybe this is a you don't remember where you're going with this at all. This was like a month ago Not that we a clue. made these notes. I mean, well, okay. Do you have any questions in the general realm of uh, community leadership when it comes to these types of safe space communities? And I don't know. We could talk about our experience in the last community that we were a part of, if you want. <laughs> Do you want? Are you scared? I'm. I'm always scared. I think we told Rachel a little bit about it, but like, I'm still. Yeah, we're putting this out into the world. That she'll she can hunt us down. I mean, in Thailand. We're in Thailand. She can try. I mean, I don't know. We're <laughs> in Copenhagen. She'll never find us. Yeah. I'm curious. I want to hear more. So we were part of a, a gathering called 
that we called Skillshare, uh, created by a very intelligent, charismatic individual who, through the course of the time that we would go there, it was once a month. Um, it was, a, I mean, an there amazing There was one community. main event a month, and then yeah. we would have, like, other different gatherings and trips together with, like, different members of the group. And this, this, this individual was just fantastic at bringing together some really, truly fantastic people um, and creating a space that felt very safe and and i mean the energy was just fantastic it was our first date actually she was like you gotta come meet these come to the skillshare thing I was like, yeah that sounds great and i was, I was blown away we did a sound journey and i was like that was just it's one of his first sound journey amazing experiences i've ever enjoyed and we also did time massage for the first time yeah, it was yeah, nothing it was like what do we now know time massages it was yeah. just like incredibly painful contortions that like admittedly it was like i had to be in chair pose massage, for like so 20 minutes was... like laying him over my legs it was <laughs> but it was fun it was yeah, fun it was definitely a good we had a bonfire and this amazing like sort of like farmette thing and we burnt all the old memories that you know it was it was a great we time the things we wanted to let go of everything was great until the creator of the group started to sort of spiral out of control there, there were some red flags prior to what became really sort of a, a, a shit show and we had witnessed there being a bit of a witch hunt um but it was so fringe early on in the community of being like just if she saw if anybody, for any reason, remotely didn't feel right to her, they were banished from the group, and then she would go around and make sure every other single person supported her in this banishment and would villainize this person who she had banished. And if anybody didn't back her up, then they were probably going to be ostracized from the group. But at, it, at first, this seems reasonable because there was like someone there, like Jenna told me a story. We didn't like know these people yeah, you don't as know well. Anybody, and you and hear a story about somebody peddling a pink drink. Oh, maybe that's oh, what. Oh, I, I yeah. didn't make that connection to last either. Um, this yeah. pink drink that was like that probiotic was, crap. Yeah, it was. It was this um, older guy. It was probably in his fifties or something. And I don't. I don't really remember everything. Um, but it was like he's yeah he had this pink drink that was supposed to cure everything about you that was like really great and he wanted to give me some as a gift and he seemed okay he seemed like you know pretty normal for that group of people and um i was like yeah sure like at the next event i'd i'd love to get some from you and then this quickly escalated to him i guess I don't know, moderately stalking me. I mean, he was calling me obsessively, texting me all the time. He showed up at my place of work multiple times trying to give me this drink. And then, like, I was getting really freaked out, so I started avoiding him. And he then was, like, turned on me and started being really mean and angry about how ungrateful I was. This was a person I'd met one time at, like, a community (laughs) gathering, and we talked about you know, probiotics or whatever. So I told all this to the leader. This was, I think that was the first time I'd ever attended one of these things. And I told her about it. And she was like, this is completely inappropriate. Like you're a young woman and he's, this is, he's full blown stalking you. Like no matter what you want to call it, um, this is not okay. And, you know, she had him immediately removed from the group. I think that, that was like his first time going too. So, uh, 
It wasn't like he was a longtime community member and she ostracized him and, and had a talk with the person who brought him in in the first place. So that was like our main experience with it so previously. So all that sounds reasonable and it's really kind of great to have this safe space and then a kind of gatekeeper so you don't have to be the person that's like, yo, stop, you know, like that's that sounds wonderful. But it quickly became something else. Um, then it became everyone all the time. Anyone yeah. who didn't believe every single thing that she said was ostracized, villainized, and anybody who remained friends with those people who she ostracized or villainized were then part of the people who she ostracized and villainized. And, like, I mean, yeah, it quickly turned into a thing of, like, everybody being afraid to speak ever. And, yeah. It, it was, was the crucible in real time. We can make a play about it. I mean, it was... And there, there's some other stuff that I, I wouldn't want to say on a podcast because people we are listening and like, like some more personal yeah. family and um and how do you deal with that? I mean that, that's that's pro- probably where the question of like managing a safe space is hard from that to like from her perspective like when she was taking control of who could come in and who like if you take that ownership of it then. That power seems to be right. I think power, absolute yeah. power corrupts absolutely yeah, is always the rule. But yeah, like I mean, you already watch. seem you're obviously more grounded, and you do a lot of self work, and I think those are necessities for a leader. But yeah, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> it's hard to imagine you ever like even having any stirrings of like taking control or becoming like a dictator. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see this happening to me. <laughs> but also, because people are coming, and especially in Pi, it's a quite a transient community. There's often a very completely different group of people week to week. So I'm not really getting into their backstories, and um, you know, we're together for two hours, and then I often don't see these people again. Um, that's crazy I feel like <laughs> the ones everybody who was at that first one there's all people who were long term and I mean because I guess that was in August so it was more like long term yeah there people. are definitely a handful of people but who then, keep returning that's how we met like almost everyone we became friends with yeah good um, <laughs> but I guess you know of course if, if someone came to me and expressed that someone else in the group had sexually assaulted them or had done something um I would probably have my 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 initial reaction would be to have one-on-one conversations with the people involved and and try to just create safety for everybody um but to yeah I haven't ever been into the position where I had to ostracize someone or tell them they weren't invited to the space and I find at least thus far the tone I'm setting for the ceremonies is is creating a, a space where people, like-minded people are coming and inviting their like-minded friends. And it's not just like this open invitation for anybody in yeah, the world. Yeah, it's pretty to come self-selecting. To. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't speak much about that. I haven't had to experience anything like that yet. Um, yeah. yeah, I wonder how uh, how unusual our experience was i mean like i think those are the type of 
communes or cults that always get the most notoriety and are most talked right. about. So as we're, is, as we're going through all this, have you seen Wild Wild Country? Yes. So we're we're watching Wild Wild Country. We're, we're becoming more obsessed with the lives. idea of like creating or like the idea of, of communal living and how that could be benefit, that could be done in a way that was, you know, so we're watching these multiple examples of a community being built that was beautiful and then turning into something that was not. And it was just like, you mean in real life and wild wild yeah, country? Yeah, in real life and wild wild country. Like, it was just really sort of serendipitous that all these things were coming together. Yeah, um, and the only connection I see between you know that and what we experience is the, the beautiful nature of all these activities and the people that it brings together. I just want to say that. Like, yeah, definitely. I think it's a different energy when it's the same group of people meeting consecutively. Yeah, like because then people create their own connections and their own situations and i think it just breeds more drama when more and more people are meeting over and over and over again yeah because it builds a different type of intimacy yeah and so to just have these weekly events where it's not always it's always there's always at least some new people (laughs) and then i think that's just helping to make it a completely different fresh experience every time and there's also there's time in the beginning and the end to just freely mingle with everybody but throughout the actual ceremony it's very um, strategically planned you're you're connecting with one to two people at any given time about a specific topic or or most of that the time in mm-hmm. silence and so there's not really room to create drama drama mm-hmm. and side stories and mm-hmm. they can leave to go do that <laughs> afterwards it's a good policy <laughs> what do you think it is about like why do you think wild wild country went so south well I definitely think the woman I forget her name that was involved do you know that became uh, their fir- or no your second cacao ceremony are f- uh, that there was people who were there yes I've met them they had been yeah. part of that experience and i don't know if both of them but yeah no or well they were both part of show show. but only he had lived in oregon Mm, yeah they were on the podcast yeah cool i haven't spoken to them deeply about this but i didn't know that you can just listen to the episode yeah i will will. (laughs) um yeah i think that power not everybody can handle having that much power and i think that in that at least in the film that's how it was depicted is that she was so hungry for being in being in power and became the voice of Osho while he was silent and things just went sour. Um, <laughs> um well I wanna talk about my experience with Breathwork with you, because Trevor and I have talked about it infinite times since uh it, we did it. <laughs> Trevor's eating the microphone. But, um, I don't know exactly how this is going to turn into a question, so I'll just start telling you my story. I, I messaged you um, like a, a short sentence the first time, like maybe I think it was probably two weeks after we had done our session that, um, well, I'd done a, I'd done a breathwork session with Rachel where uh, I've had panic attacks for the majority of my life. And um, that was one of the main points of focus was she was giving me breathing exercises and techniques to kind of, uh, in the moment, work my way back down from that. And I messaged you 
being like, okay, well, like I was on my way to a panic attack and then I remembered your exercises and they worked annoyingly well <laughs> or something like that. Because <laughs> that was how I felt. And like, that's what I've been telling to Trevor. And it's been a really interesting um, perspective to gain of the nature of emotions of kind of uh, that now that it's made me look at anxiety and panic and all of those things in a different light now that you've given me these tools to have a different type of control over my reaction to them and thinking about how kind of that there was that there's the predominant rational grown-up healthy side of me that's like this is awesome I'm so happy to have these tools I'm so glad to be able to walk myself back to a healthy place and not go to this place of hysteria but then there's like the child side of me that's like this is fucking bullshit i want to throw a tantrum right now and i'm not and i'm not allowed to throw a tantrum now like i was on my way to proving how worthy of being upset i was and now i'm just like a calm normal healthy adult this is chaos and uh uh, that's been very interesting to see that there's absolutely this side and voice of me that's like irritated to not be able to reach the same emotional peaks um yeah i don't know that's my story (laughs) well it's funny because i think that a lot of people have trouble healing because they're attached to the thing that's causing them suffering um and i think it's the ego like i've gone through this before like sometimes i'll be angry at someone and i want to like hold on to the anger or or sadness you want to hold on to that and I forget who who said this to me, but one of my teachers has always said, um, "What are you gaining from holding on to this mm-hmm. this negative thing?" Because our ego is always making us feel like we're gaining something, like the ability to throw a tantrum, like right. like maybe you get some kind of joy out of that. Or, Validation or, 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 is the yeah. main thing of being like, if this thing was able to make me this upset, then I deserve to be upset over this thing because I'm not just inventing this. This is my reaction to a stimulus. So yeah. it's an upsetting stimulus. But now <laughs> yeah. that I've learned, like, oh, I have more control than I've ever been willing to admit or taken. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And realizing that now you are in control, which yeah. is a whole nother, um experience to get used to being in control because yeah that's the thing i found with breath is that our breath is directly connected to our mental state our emotional state and our energetic state so if we learn to control the breath we can learn to control the mind we can learn to control our actions we can learn to control our emotions um so it's all connected and sometimes it's easier to just not be in control and just let the body react the way it wants to react but I think once doing it enough, you know, it's 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 nice to not have to let the world on the outside be controlling our emotional state and to instead be in control of it from the inside. Um, but so, mildly annoying as well. <laughs> for now. Maybe you'll come to love your No, I mean, I, I totally, to- <laughs> the vast majority of me loves it and is so happy to have these new tools and so appreciative that you shared them with me. But there's totally, whatever, yeah. well, definitely you can, a child voice of me being like, fuck this. Yeah, you can breathe yourself into an accepting calm state, but then still rant about it. <laughs> then I can with, just do EFT with, tapping. Yeah, or, or <laughs> yeah, you can like vent about it in a different way rather than having a tantrum maybe 
That's what do you do that for tapping? My our, one of our our dear friends Annie, she always uh, teaches tapping in terms of like that's how to get through a negative emotion of like starting the tapping where you're really really bitching about something about how like saying the most bitchy things you possibly can about whatever it is and then like slowly through the mm-hmm. tapping cycle working your way to a place of acceptance yeah absolutely like tapping eft um that's how it works is the it's called eft the emotional freedom technique and the way that it works though is if you you bring up something that's causing you stress or something that's causing you a strong emotion a strong negative emotion usually, so fear, anger, sadness, whatever. You bring it up in your body. You let your body completely become overwhelmed with this this feeling of, of not goodness. And then you tap on the different places of the body and the body naturally settles, but you're still thinking about the negative thing. So what it does is it reprograms your body to respond in a different way to this thing so if you're for example afraid of heights then you get yourself all worked up about thinking about heights or freaking out and then you're tapping and thinking about it but slowly you settle and slowly you begin to change the words i'm not afraid of heights heights are okay like and it changes your body's response to that thing so yeah that's actually the key to tapping is to first bring up the negative emotion and then tap it down into a less intense emotion and then how often do you use these practices in your day-to-day life? Well I definitely use breath work every day. That's how I often start my morning is um breath work, different types of there's breath work to energize and there's breath work to calm. So depending on how I'm feeling in the morning, if I need a little boost of energy, I'll do some energetic breath work. Um, but often I just want to start my day just feeling grounded and centered. So I'll just do some calming breath work. Um, and then throughout the day, I often use tapping. Sometimes I'll do a whole session, tapping session on a specific thing. But sometimes I'll just tap my body just because now I'm so used to tapping my body all the time. And it just kind of feels good to... It's also like type of qigong is to tap the whole body and to wake up all the cells and all the parts of the body by tapping it and shaking it. And so I find that that's just a skill that's kind of entered its way into my daily routine. Nice. So daily, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> Most days. Do you have any other questions on these topics? Are you ready to move on to the... Okay. What is the most unrealistic thing you believe in? <laughs> it's hard because if I believe it, it doesn't seem unrealistic. But let's see. Well, recently I've been learning a lot about energy medicine which tapping is a form of energy medicine but this the science behind energy medicine is essentially that we are all made of energy everything is made of energy um, but typical science says that everything form like is we deal with things on the cellular and molecular level um, which is where most of modern science has, in science and medicine has, has come from. But energy medicine says that everything kind of comes from 
the mind and that the whole world is just energy and so we're all connected and all of our energy bubbles are also connected and that yeah what we think is creating an energetic vibration that's changing everything else so I guess that's kind of it. I just, I, I firmly believe and have experienced that our thoughts really do affect the world around us and they can affect our bodies. Like even like pain, physical pain that we feel a lot of times is just associated with our, our thought processes and what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like all of these things, a law of attraction, all of this, I've, I've experienced them to be real and I think for people that aren't on the spiritual path, find that to be absolute bullshit. My brother <laughs> is very a firm believer in just modern day science. And anytime I talk about any of this stuff, he thinks I'm a lunatic. Um, but yeah, I really do believe that we can help heal our bodies with with our thoughts and with our energetic state as opposed to necessarily popping pills and going to see a doctor um, for every malady that we may encounter. Um, but yeah, but to some people that's very believable. So <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Do you accept? <laughs> yes. <laughs> If there was one act, behavior or action you could get everyone in the world to do or stop doing, what would it be? Hmm. I think about this often. Like if everybody would do this, change the world. <laughs> What's one? Yeah, I'm gonna go back to breath work. I think that if everybody knew the power of the breath and how to control their breath, so many issues would be dissolved um i especially think that you know when we're born we know how to breathe naturally and deeply using our diaphragm but throughout growing up throughout living the stressful lives that most of us live in especially the west um like life just throws so much stress on us and we slowly forget how to breathe most people these days are breathing very shallowly they're not using their diaphragm and most people are living in a state of of mild hyperventilation day in and day out every day and this creates a very intense stress response on the body and creates the heart beating at a faster rate um i mean so many people are just living with so much stress that's their their normal that's their norm mm -hmm. and i think that if everybody knew how to breathe slowly and deeply and I, one of my favorites is counting the breath counting like four beats in four beats out or five or six that's the one you taught me to get back from yeah panic attack and it definitely works because if you count the breath then the mind has a job to do so it's not running around right. thinking about all the things that are causing you stress and You're just like previously if i was like okay take a deep slow breath and that was just too freaky for me like the the lack of control i already had over my breath then to try to like control it in this kind of abstract way made everything way harder and way more overwhelming but to just focus on counting and to not even really be thinking about it as breathing yeah, it is nice. a way easier thing to focus on. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. So 
if you're yeah if, if anybody out there listening is ever dealing with stress a lot like just sitting down and counting the breath in counting the breath out trying to shoot for five beats in and out um that slows down the breathing rate to about six breaths a minute where most human adults are breathing at 20 breaths a minute 20 to 25 breaths a minute and so if you can if we can learn to slow down the breath then we're going to learn how to slow down the mind to calm the emotions to help people sleep more easily to stay asleep longer and i think all of these things are all associated with a lot of the problems going around so and then on the other hand people who are too tired all the time can learn to breathe more rapidly more intensely and actually get high off their own breath so there's two sides to the breath coin and both are full of so much power so that's the one thing i hope for all all people that we learn we relearn how to breathe properly i think that'd be awesome (laughs) what is the most annoying thing about people these are tough guys yes we try (laughs) we all do it but i don't like complaining i suppose when people are complaining about everything, that's really annoying to me. Um, we should know, bring back our original business idea for our, our Get Rich Quick. <laughs> we, <laughs> we wanted to have these. Well, we were both working. I was working in corporate America and he was working as a server and going to nursing school. So our lives were filled with complaining as the prominent, dominant form of communication. And that's also... that's. The two the two key reasons why we wanted to start a podcast was because we were either listening to people complain all day or being having small talk put upon us. So we originally decided to create a podcast when we were in the midst of that. And we we're like a way to have real conversations with people and ask questions we actually want to know the answers to. But um, we thought about having a essentially a snap bracelet. So that every time you complained. <laughs> Like you had to sw- you had to snap yourself and you had to switch wrists so everyone would know if you had like or or you would know I guess no one would necessarily know which wrist was which because you would switch it each time yeah but then you had to like have an association and a thing and people could call you out if you complained of being like switch your bracelet and whatnot this could change the think, world if you had if it was instituted properly I think it'd be tremendously effective in corporate America where especially like in like a restaurant like community where you have a large number of employees that frequently complain about that's right rightfully so sometimes but you know it's not helpful yeah i'm not saying people don't have the like things to complain about i'm saying that there's a much more productive conversation yeah i mean there are definitely things i complain about too like i'm not free of that but as time goes on for myself i I find that i'm complaining less because i'm i'm facing problems rather than just complaining about them or changing situations so that there's less to complain about and so when i hear people complaining about everything i just want to say take control of your own life like this is your life like do something that brings you joy (laughs) stop doing all these things that are causing you so much stress and complaining so yeah and small talk, you brought that up too. The question, where are you from? That's, that's uh, That might be the most annoying thing. We'll just do that do. question. Why do people do small talk? That's one of our questions. I think people do small talk because they don't, they don't know 
better questions to ask. And I think people are so used to being asked small talk questions that that's just what they now find is the the norm. That's how we communicate. Um, but you don't learn anything from these from these questions. I, I think that because it starts at such a young age, people don't actually learn the skill of of asking more interesting questions. Like a, a lot of people aren't presented with thinking in abstract ways, sadly. So they just resort back to what they know. It's the easiest questions of what do you do? Where are you from? And and also, I think that at least for me living in the West, where you're from and what you do did define a lot about where people like I, about I, people. I imagine those two go hand in hand, too. If that's what you're constantly being asked, it's reinforcing mm-hmm. that that's what's most important about you. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, terrible, yeah, terrible thing to reinforce. And, and now living abroad, like where are you from means means nothing. Like, what does it matter? Like, I haven't been there in years. And what do you do is such a loaded question now because they're, I don't just do one thing. It's like, there's lots of things I do. So, Do you think that there's like a set of small talk questions that travelers have adapted to sort of replace those commonly asked questions? I mean, I think where are you from might be an example of one. People still ask me that every day, though. Yeah, yeah that's, that's like, what I mean. Yeah. Like, I think that there's like... What do you do here? I don't know. Well, like, I kind of, I definitely, I think one of the main small talk questions I ask in Pi is, like, something along the lines of, how long are you going to be here? Because that is kind of, like, how much can I invest yeah. in you? <laughs> yeah. Like, I would really like to be friends, but if you're leaving tomorrow, I mean, we can still hang out today, but, like, I just need to prepare myself emotionally ahead of time. For sure. But, especially in Pi, people, like, never really it's seem to know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Or they'll say, oh, I'm leaving next week, and then they're back, and let's stay here for five months. Yeah. <laughs> like us. Yeah, yeah. But, you said you were leaving two months ago. Yeah. You're in the pie hole. All right. We have to leave, but I really want to let's, – so let's just try to do the next like five rapid fire. Rapid fire, rapid fire. What is you, your favorite thing about yourself? Oh, <laughs> your eyes. <laughs> Deer in headlights. <laughs> I'm very strong-willed. I feel like I know what I deserve, and um, that's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, I don't. I guess I've realized that life is meant to be joyful, so I just try to be joyful most of the time, and that that really helps me to be a happy person. Would you say your natural state is it one of joy, or is it one of neutrality? Or other. I mean, I definitely get sad. I definitely get angry. I definitely get stressed. De- default. But but usually I'm quite happy. Even yeah, usually I can find something to be happy about. This is so, yeah. perspective talk- of gratitude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is something that is really popular now, but in five years everyone will look on back on and be embarrassed by? Embarrassed. <laughs> um, it's hard to rapid fire and answer these questions. <laughs> Coffee. No, <laughs> no probably never. Not. Probably oh, not. Kidding me. <laughs> I can think of something else. Hmm. 
wiping our butts with toilet paper instead of using a bum gun. (laughs) everyone will look back on and be like oh my god that's so embarrassing i actually i'm glad that you brought this up because i think about this all the time since living moving to thailand i worked for a non-profit that was the biggest job um biggest influence on my life job i worked for them for two years it was called the no impact project and it was um Colin Beaven is no impact man a guy living in new york city he wrote a book called no impact man had a documentary by the same name and uh, during this project of one year living completely no impact in New York City, the New York Times wrote an article on him and his family, and the title was A Year Without Toilet Paper. And this article then became, basically, it was it was trying to turn him into a laughingstock. It was trying to discredit everything. And this was what then everybody focused on when I was I got this internship while I was in college and speaking to the internship manager was telling her about the the nonprofit and she was like oh that's the guy who didn't use toilet paper I mean like this is anybody who knows about him that's the frame of reference they have and when I asked him like if there's anything he wanted to change she was like I wish that either I didn't do that aspect of it or that I never told anybody because to have the whole project to have everything that went into this now just kind of have the focus be that we didn't use toilet paper it feels so discrediting and like and it's it's absolutely crazy and now we're living in a country where it's a rarity and like whoa if you see toilet paper in the bathroom and like that's totally normal and fine and nobody's disgusting nobody's walking around covered in shit like (laughs) i mean yeah it's just crazy to have this uh really prominent experience in my life where somebody was greatly made mm. fun of for not using yeah but paper. i mean like the bidet has been around for for many i don't know how long but long, yeah, a long time. long time and that's like for i always consider the bidet to be this like rich person's toilet yeah, absolutely but <laughs> the, yeah like i think it makes sense to use water instead of paper but well, on that note, what's the most environmentally friendly thing you do and or the main environmentally friendly thing you want others to do? Mm. Same answer. <laughs> well, no, actually, I was going to change my answer to the last one and say maybe something that people will stop doing is using uh, single-use plastic items. So um, I think that that's just a small change that everybody can do is to stop using plastic straws and to stop using plastic bags, which is a huge problem here in Thailand. They want to put a bag in, in your a bag, bag in a bag in a bag your straw in a bag and everything's plastic and so to just start using um reusable cups and reusable straws it's very easy to to make these simple changes to make quite a big impact Woo! all right let's end it there so we gotta go <laughs> okay. okay um unless you yeah, it's yeah. Okay. The rest <laughs> I was making curious faces. What else right. <laughs> did I give you enough about you wanted me to give people practices, but I, we already asked that. But I did enough, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you you went into nice detail. Well, so where can people go if they want to find more information about you or from you? Oh well, yeah. So I have a website. Um it's www.rachelconstantino.com We'll include that in the show notes. Awesome. And if you're ever here in Northern Thailand, I do regular cacao ceremonies and breathwork journeys. So feel free to, you can find the ways to connect me, connect with me on my website as well, like Facebook and email. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for being on today. It's lovely to talk with you finally. <laughs> Thank you guys. Honored to be here. Thank you. Okay, bye. Yay, bye.